Okay, thank you, Jesus. We good? Okay, you guys got your Bibles? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you're so in love with us and that your spirit is being poured out. And right now, we just ask that you would just anoint this message and that you would cause us to be gripped by it, Holy Spirit, that you would bring these words of your, of your book alive to us, that they would be branded in our hearts and that we would own these principles in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Woohoo. Let's get it. Okay, if you want to come with me, please, to Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. I want to talk a little bit right now about mercy versus grace. Mercy versus grace. Verse 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that... After these things that God tested Abraham. Okay, just stop right there for a second. Just complete side note. There's a whole school of thinking that believes that God doesn't test you. God tests you. God tests you to prove you so that you can come into inheritances, so that you can grow into areas of maturity. God tests us. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Well, apparently he does. Right here, 22 verse 1. Okay, because sometimes, and it's not that God needs to know if we're ready, it's actually that we need to see that we're ready or not. Okay. Okay, so God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, the one, remember the one that he was promised? This is the Isaac that we were just talking about. So, spoiler alert, Isaac's going to live. We're already talking about him later on in his life. <laughs> Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Can I just say right now, modern Christianity doesn't believe that the things that God's promised us, though we've waited a long time, that God has the right to take them away. Modern Christianity doesn't believe that. And we need to get over it. Because God's God, not us. So we can't ever worship anything or hold on to something so tight that we don't think that God's going to require of it. Some of you are saying, yes, I can finally get divorced. No, you can't. That's the one thing that God won't do. Okay, so I just want to clear that up. Okay. Backing up here. Go to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Is that a squirrel noise I just made? Wow. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, which he's talking about Isaac, and I will go yonder or further up and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, <clears throat> Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, father, I see, he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine that? I mean, I've got a little boy. I don't know how I'd handle that. Hey, daddy, what's, we're, we're taking wood and fire. What's about to happen? I can't even get that. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. 
Can you imagine that? It's crazy. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. He lifted his knife up like this. Okay? But the angel of the Lord, which when you see the big A like that, big A, big L, that's actually God. So Jesus showed up. But the angel of the Lord, which is their way of saying the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have withheld your, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, just a side note: I believe that God was actually wanting to see if a man was willing to lay down his son, in order to qualify the Father to lay down his son, Jesus, for us. So there's a huge parallel there, and just a complete little side note. But it is a moment of beauty there. Where you can see the, this poetic nature of God just coming through. Um, and Abraham. Sorry, verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Stop right there. What we see here is we actually see mercy and grace in operation. God had commanded, not requested, he'd commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him on a mountain. Which, can I just say this? Sometimes God asks you to do things you don't understand. You have to be okay with it. Now, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. None of you are going to be asked to sacrifice a human being. Just want to clear that out. Some of you are like, wow, this is intense. No, this is, this is pre the cross, okay? And so what we saw is that we saw mercy step in. One of the names of God is mercy. Do you know that? One of his names is mercy. We see mercy call out to Abraham when Abraham's in complete obedience and he's ready to put the knife into his son, which I can't even comprehend. And God says, stop. Don't do that. On the other hand, we then see God provide a way out. So what we see is we actually see that mercy keeps what we deserve away from us. Mercy keeps what we deserve away from us. Mercy keeps judgment from us. Okay, But then grace arrived and it actually made a bypro- a, a, uh, an alternative. Does that make sense? So then grace came and it gave them what they didn't deserve. Now we can, we can see this all through the Bible and I just want to talk about it a little bit because we actually get really hung up on mercy and grace. Christians actually, a lot of the time we think, I mean, I grew up thinking it was the same thing. Did you grow up thinking it was the same thing? When I was younger, I was like, oh yeah, mercy and grace. It's kind of all just like hodgepodge mixed up, same thing. It's not. You see, and this is, this is actually really important to understanding, to understanding the nature of God. And in doing so, actually, it sets us free from sin. Because there's two kinds of Christians. That, well, two kinds of Christians outside the way that God wants us to live. Let's just say it like that. There's the Christians that in their own strength try and be good enough. And then there's the Christians in their own, that, that, that in, there's the Christians that believe that grace is there to let them live the way they are. True? And at times we've all lived like both of those. Every one of us has lived in both of those camps, okay? So understanding who God is in this picture is actually going to set us free, and it's going to start to empower us to actually live in freedom, because freedom actually comes from understanding who God is and who we are and actually what God's done, and then it stops being a works thing or it stops being something where we're just resting in, oh, God's done it all. He's, made, he's paid for everything. I might as well just live like I am. I don't have to change, right? Okay, good. 
So if you want to come with me, we've got a few scriptures I want to get to tonight, and we're going to get to some points. I want to go somewhere. I want to show you something. Because we all have struggles, and God actually wants to set us free from those. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. True? God loves us way too much for us to stay the way we are. God's actually wanting to bring us further and further and further into freedom where the sin and the world doesn't have power over us and we start getting closer. See, when we have encounters with God like this, it's not just about goosebumps, guys. It's actually about getting the Spirit of God on us and stuff falling off. You guys get that? Because there's, there's all different kinds of camps. There's camps where like, they just want to soak in the river and they just want to be touched by God. But then you look at them and it's like, what have you done with your life? What have you done with what God's put in you? What have you done with all these encounters that you've had? Because it should look like something. Amen? So we need to get principles like this, meat and potatoes, in our lives, where we actually have foundations to actually build upon so that the Holy Spirit can flow through us better. Come with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Okay. Verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement or forgiveness is provided for for an, is provided for iniquity or sin, okay? But by the fear of the Lord, we depart from evil. So here's the thing. Grace is never ever a vehicle so that you can stay with the issues that you've got or the sin problems that we have or the addictions that we have or the habits that we have. Grace is never anything to keep us there. Because if if it was all about grace, God would have said, oh, it's all okay, you don't even need to kill anything, I don't need to give you a ram, it's all cool, just go back down the mountain. We have to understand, guys, that sin carries a consequence. And grace is just diverting that, and mercy is diverting that. Because actually, really, if you want to look at it legalistically, if you were the devil, the person that sins is the person that should be judged, true? That's surely true in the US court system. If you commit a crime... It's not your neighbor that's going to be going to jail, it's you. True? And so we need to understand this because if you don't understand it, the enemy's going to take advantage of you and you're going to start getting condemned. Because God's not called you to live in condemnation either. Right? God's called you to be free sons and free daughters. Amen? Awesome. Okay, so God's calling us. Oh, right, I want to focus on the second half of verse 6. And by the fear of the Lord, we depart from evil. One of the major problems with, I'll just say this, modern Western churches is that we have celebrated all of the light level stuff and we've put away the fear of the Lord, which is the awesome reverence of God's majesty and power. We need to get the fear of the Lord. And can I say this? It's not being afraid or horrified of God. It's being in a healthy respect of who God is. Because when we can get that, what we do is we start to live and think differently. See, the thing is, is that, like I said before, the greatest thing for me in our marriage is not like the piece of paper that, oh man, I signed this piece of paper and I'm bound to this contract. It's that I'm in love with her. And because I'm in love with her, I want to please her, so I will do things for my wife so that she's happy, and I will not do things because those things make her unhappy. Not because I have to because I signed a piece of paper. The problem is, is that we've been trained with legalism. True? We've been trained with legalism and we divert and we default across to, I better be good enough for God or else. True? So we actually need to fall in love with God and have moments like this in the presence of God like we've just been having 
where we actually just go deep in the Lord and we stop thinking about all of the legalism and we actually just start talk, thinking about love. That's why it says the greatest of these is love, remember? So mercy diverts consequences and grace gives us what we don't deserve. Come with me please to Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. I just want us to see this under, because we all think through the law, and that's great, because that's kind of how we're geared, but we actually need to start thinking a different way. Because relationship is greater than rules, guys. It has to be. We do not serve a robot. We do not serve a court system. We serve a loving father. Amen? The problem is, is that we get, the reason why people get condemned, I mean, who struggled with condemnation here before? Every single person in the room. I guarantee it. Because... Your fallen mind is constantly trying to be good enough, and when we realize we can't be good enough, we start getting discouraged, and that's called condemnation. Because the enemy starts saying, you're no good, you'll never be good enough, you'll never conquer that area, you're a loser, you did it again, look at you, you're so filthy, you're dirty, God could never love you, and next thing you're ready to check out of life. True? Condemnation is a hideous, ugly thing. And that's what happens when we get into that place, we start trying to be good enough, and so we start trying to do works to be enough. But it doesn't look like that, because love is not about works. Love is about love. It's, real, it's actually quite simple. And it says that in the Greek as well. So Matthew chapter 27, and I want to go to verse 32. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear the cross. And when they had, when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which is Calvary, to say the place of the skull, of, sorry, to, it is to say the place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Then they, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put over his head an accusation written against them, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. So Jesus was literally taken up to a mountain just like Abraham's son Isaac was. Remember? We've just been reading that. Jesus was taken up a mountain just like Isaac was taken up a mountain. But this time, Jesus actually, there was no ram, there was a lamb. So what happened was, I just want to start to get this picture in our heads here because this is going to set some of us free tonight because some of you have been struggling with sin and you're not going to win that war. Some of you have been fighting addiction, some of you have been fighting bondages, some of you have been fighting habitual problems, some of you have been fighting condemnation and you've been doing it in your own strength and maybe not even knowing it. You might have even been calling it like your Christian life. Some of us are going to get free right now and I pray it's everyone here. Jesus literally hung on the cross and he became, the Bible called him the Lamb of God, right? He became the act of grace. We got mercy because our sin should have taken us to hell, right? We should have got that judgment. But Jesus got the judgment instead. That's not supposed to happen, but it happened. Amen? So Jesus is literally, in the plan of God, Jesus is literally smitten, struck, almost cursed. He was cursed with every wrong thing you ever did, and he started in himself. He took the full, entire judgment and consequence. That's why, that's why in Genesis, which we're going to go to in a second, God said without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In other words, there has to be a consequence somewhere. 
Does this, get, does this make sense? So a lot of people, there's a, there's a movement, and it's been in there for quite a while now, there's a movement that tells you that grace makes everything okay. And that's a lie. Grace just washes everything over and sweeps it under the rug. It's a total lie. You have to understand that under the law, there is a consequence for every wrong act of disobedience we do. Every form of sin, there is a consequence. Here's where grace kicks in. God gave you mercy. And he diverted the consequence from you and he put it on Jesus. Every wrong thing you have ever done in your life, every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action, anything that you have ever done was literally when you gave your life to Jesus and said, God, please forgive me of my sins. And as we walk our lives out and we say, Jesus, I just that thing I just said, I'm so sorry, I repent to you right now, it gets diverted. And that's called mercy, guys. It's not called grace. We get the mercy of God where we don't have the judgment. Because the Bible basically outlines it's if you've done one sin, you might as well have done everything, and one sin would tarnish you enough to take you to hell. True? I know that we don't like talking about the word hell in California, but I'm saying the word hell. Because that's actually what Jesus came to save you from, so you might as well get vocabulary about it. Get your vocabulary expanded a little bit. Hell, Hades, all that stuff. Okay? This is the real gospel, guys. The cross, Jesus, the blood of the Lamb us being saved from our sins, amen? Come on, some of you sit home at night when the light's out in your bed and you're tormented by stuff in your past. Can I tell you, to God it's gone. To you it still exists, but to God it's gone. The devil uses it like a leverage, like a knife in there that he's twisting. God has literally taken those things and he put them, it's like, you, it's like God's got like a, a time machine and he just literally put it back 2,000 years ago by the way, God lives outside time. So he just reached into 2016, 17, and he put it right back to zero AD. Do you get what I'm saying? He put it on the cross. That wrong thought you had last night, that bad statement you made this morning, that terrible thing you did back in 95. Do you get what I'm saying? It's all at the cross. That's mercy and grace. You didn't get what you deserved and you got what you didn't deserve. You get this. You get to go free. This is awesome. It, let's just go to Romans for a second. I'm, I'm kind of under pressure, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bust this out as fast as I can. Okay. Now, I'm going to read this real quick, and it's actually pretty sober. So try not to keep your sober face, your morbid faces on too much. Put a smile on there somehow, okay? Okay, so I'm actually going to read from verse one, from chapter 1. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Basically, every form of sin, God actually, God's natural response against sin is wrath. His natural response. Because God's holy and perfect and everything that's sin is completely the opposite. So God's response is a response of wrath. Because God understands that for every sin there comes a judgment. Okay? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of this world in his visible attributes, <coughs> sorry, in his visible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Hello. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Hello. Does that sound like our culture? And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals or Ferraris and nice houses up on the hill and Instagram followings. Come on, somebody. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. Hello, Tinder, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Come on, come on, internet, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. If you don't know what that is, come and see me, I'll tell you afterwards. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. Yes, Orange County, I just read a scripture that most of us are ashamed to read in public. I read it, and it's on social media right now. Okay, we need to get our Bibles in us. That is the truth of God's word, and I'm not ashamed of it. Amen? Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Does this sound like our culture? This is our culture I'm describing right here. Well, I'm not describing it. I'm just reading what's being described. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Interesting. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice it. Okay, now, now we get to the good part. Say good part. See, the thing is, to get to the good part, you have to understand the bad part well. Otherwise, you're just going to be familiar with good news. If you don't actually have an understanding of what you've been saved from, you'll just treat God like one of your homies. That's why with Moses, God gave the law because the law didn't come to it. Actually, it actually called out and put boundaries around what was right and wrong. Now, the law by itself condemned us, and that's why no one could make it. But Jesus came to fulfill it. He became the lamb that answered the law. Does this make sense? So that's why when people try and live by the law, even under the New Testament and all their great revelation, all you see is religion because you see man's works trying to be good enough. You're never going to make it. You're never, ever going to be good enough. We need the grace of God. We need the mercy of God. We need both. But we need to have them right. We can't just have them on our terms where it's like, oh, sorry, God, until next week when I do it again. Do you really think that that's how God designed that thing to be? Do you really think that God designed so that you could keep living in your sin? Or do you think that God designed it so that it would set you free and cause you to start to shine? I mean, who feels really great after they've been on a sinning binge? I mean, honestly, just raise your hand right up. Who feels really great about it? Nobody. Why? Because there's pleasure in sin for a second, but then it brings death. It makes you feel dead on the inside. There is, there is like for instance, if I was to tell you that heroin wasn't fun, I'd be lying to you. Because heroin gives you a buzz, for sure. Guaranteed. I've never done it, but... A lot of people I know have. But then what they don't tell you, what, what you don't hear 
And what all the media and, and Hollywood and all the glamorized stuff on TV doesn't tell you is how much it ruins people's lives and relationships. It destroys finances. It tears up people's health. See, the thing is, is that there is pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in all the stuff that we do wrong, but it actually eats us up and destroys us. So we need out. That's why Jesus came and hung on a cross, so we could get out. Come on, guys. See, the thing is, is that we can say, I love the Holy Ghost, but if we don't want to get free from our sin, we're just a bunch of hypocrites. You want to come dance in the temple of God, but then you don't want to walk out changed. I know this is one of those messages where it's like, oh man, he was real heavy tonight. Yeah, awesome. Come on, let's change. Because if God is really going to raise up a people, they're going to be a people that are pure and holy, like we were singing about and shouting and getting excited about in worship. What do you think purity looks like? It looks like the fear of the Lord that causes us to part from evil. You see, this is evil right here. Now, are we ready for the good part? Awesome. Chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever area you judge another, you condemn yourself. Pretty heavy-duty stuff right there and a really good thing to take note of. Oh, I'm, I've been gifted by God to judge everyone. Have you? You've been gifted by God to discern, but not to judge. There's only one judge. We're like we're about to find out. <clears throat> for whatever you do, you, for you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that judgment of, of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, now pay attention, guys, this is it's about to get real good. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Come on, guys. Or do you despise, now check this out, this is, this is, to me this is gold. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So the grace and mercy of God is actually the manifestation of the goodness out of God's heart. See, the goodness is what comes out of God's heart. The grace and the mercy is a fruit of extension of that. Mercy made way for you not to go to prison, so to speak. Grace made way for you to be called a son instead of a prisoner. Does this make sense? So you have, a, it's, it's like the prodigal. The prodigal, he, he went and wasted everything he ever had. And he came back to the father. And the father, in our legalistic mind, said, you go back out in the field with your brother and you're going to work for the next 12 years. Especially if dad's name was Laban, that would have definitely been the case. But he didn't. See, he should have just slapped him around the face and said, you've shamed the family name and how dare you and you've got the right and the, the, the audacity to come back here and shame me some more and rub in my face what you know, dude. You see the mercy of God. You see grace celebrating the redeemed. Come on, let's get the heart of God in this because this is going to cause us to be set free. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? You realize that his goodness towards you is not just a little bit, it's rich. It's extravagant. It's generous. God's invested in seeing you not only set free, but completely delivered. Where his goodness is not just there so you can repeat the performance next week. Where his goodness is there so much that his goodness is going to cause you to repent. What is repent? It means to literally change your thinking. See, religion's taught you that repentance means to grovel and beg God for mercy. And on some, on some levels we should, but it should never finish there. The result should be the grace of God coming on you, where what happens is the grace touches you in such a way that you get so impacted by the fact that God diverted consequences from you. 
and gave you what you didn't deserve, that it causes you to get set free from what once bound you. Does this make sense? This is beautiful, guys. We just need to wade past our like cringing because we're, whenever we talk about sin, we always go and hide in our little turtle shells here in Orange County. But we need to get it back out of the closet. We need to get sin, righteousness, and judgment back out of the closet and back out in public. We need to get heaven and hell, the cross, the blood of Jesus, back out in public. Why? Because it is the power of the gospel. That is what's going to save the world, not a motivational speaker that calls himself a pastor. We need people to be unashamed of the gospel. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who would believe. Come on, guys. That's all of us. Awesome. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, some people get saved by the severity of God, which is the, the threat of going to hell and the fear of being lost forever, okay, the consequences of their sin. But can I just say, it's actually more beautiful to be, to be saved because you met a beautiful Savior. Isn't that awesome? One that has mercy and grace for you. What I want to do, guys, right now is because the thing is, is this, this whole culture, we've been immersed under the law. And we've seen God through the filter of the law, but I want to take you back before the law was ever written. Is that okay? Come with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. See, the thing is, is that what I was saying a little bit earlier we need to get to a place where our love for God causes us to do the things that please Him, not because we have to, because we'll break the law, but because we want to protect His heart. This is what intimacy with God looks like. And if we do fall, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And all we need to do is go run it to Him. And then we need to tell the devil to be quiet. Can I say that? We need to tell the devil to be quiet because he actually hasn't got a voice. You had a back, you had a back room meeting with the Supreme Judge who happens to be your father. And the back room actually looks more like a living room than a court scene. Does this make sense? Okay. So come with me, please, to, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We knew that in the beginning God put Adam and Eve in a garden, and he said, have whatever you want. I've made this paradise for you. You can do whatever you want. You are these gardeners. This is your world. Do anything, but please just do not touch this one tree, because in the day you do, you will surely die. Do you notice that God said that, didn't say that in the day you do, you'll surely be leaving the garden? He said, in the day you do, you'll surely die. Right? Okay, I'm glad we established that fact. So we know that the serpent came to the woman and said, which was really the devil, and he said, hey, has God really said this? He's trying to keep the best back from you. God, the devil always asks a question to try and trick us to question God's integrity. Have you noticed that? Every time the devil ever comes to you, you say, you know what, that probably is a whole lot of fun, isn't it, if you go and do that? You remember all the good old times? And you're like, yeah, maybe I do. That's where you just need to shish kebab that steak, that little snake. Okay, so where are we here? So, you know, verse, verse 6, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. Now, here we go. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Have you ever noticed that when you've messed up in sin, you actually are afraid of God's presence? And yet when you're in God's presence, it's the most amazing, beautiful, fulfilling place to be, and there's nothing else like it. 
Sin was designed to wedge you away from your father. Grace and mercy were made to bring you back. And we need to run to mercy. And we need to call on grace. Because these are the tools and the weapons that set us free. If condemnation's hitting you, all you need to do is come to the Father and say, I need your mercy, God. I'm sorry, I repent, I was wrong. I got tricked, I tricked myself, I'm a fool. I, I apologize, God, I repent, I'm so sorry. Please wash me and forgive me. Give me your mercy. Give me your grace. Don't give me what I deserve and give me what I didn't deserve. And you see what happens is the blood of Jesus is immediately available. And what you just did goes 2,000 years back and pins on a cross and you go free. The innocent just died for the guilty. Grace just was made available to you. Mercy just became available. But you see, it starts to take on a greater weight when you start to realize the cost of what actually took place to get you that mercy and that grace. And we stopped. See, people have stopped talking about the cross. And so because of it, people have lost the fear of the Lord. And because they've lost the fear of the Lord, they've just carried on sinning as if it's just another thing. And they go down to the God market and cash in their chips for another forgiveness session. We need to let the fear of God grip us so much that we actually let the stuff go. Yeah, repentance looks like this. I said this a few weeks back, but it's like if I'm walking in this direction and I'm fixated on this sin over here, I turn around and see Jesus and I fall in love with him so much that I fall out of, fall out of love with what I was doing. That's what grace looks like, guys. Grace gives you the ability to repent. Does this make sense? Grace gives you the ability to fall out of love with the sin that's been holding you. Grace doesn't give you the ability to stay there and romance it. Whoa. You get what I'm saying? We need to divorce the world and we need to be covenanted with Jesus. Is this okay? Because it's going to cause you to stop going up and down on yo-yos. You know that people, what they do is because they've never been taught this, they keep romancing the devil, which is really what it is. They keep romancing the devil and then getting an occasional car wash with God and they keep doing this until the point where the devil says, you know, it's actually not worth it. Why don't you just go fully in, put all your chips in? And people are like, oh, it's too hard being a Christian. No, it's not. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm in love with Jesus with everything I am. The devil is a liar. And you need to actually fall in love with another. And his name is Jesus. Come on, guys. Grace. We need to receive the mercy and the grace of God. This is awesome. Okay, I want you to see this for a second. Okay. Then... Uh, and they heard the sound of the Lord. So they heard verse 9. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So Adam called out, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That was a first in human history. Adam had never talked to God like that before. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then Adam said, The woman who you gave me to be with. She gave me the fruit I ate. Can I just say this? If you truly want to walk in the grace and mercy of God, stop blaming everyone else and take responsibility. Good prerequisite for grace and mercy is honesty and humility. We actually get real. It's like, you know what? I've been talking myself into this rubbish. Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry. It's not, oh, dude, it's my friend, that you, my wife, it's the, my neighbor, it's my boss, it's my employee. Dude, just didn't let all that stuff go. That's just called arrogance and pride. Just like, hey, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up or pull you out of your pit, whichever situation you're in. Does this make sense? Look, as much as you've been bound, can I tell you, there is no addiction, no sin, no habit, no condemnation that is greater than the blood and the name of Jesus. 
There is nothing that can hold you. If the devil's told you that you're going to struggle with that sin or addiction for the rest of your life, he is a liar and you need to stop listening to him. There is power in the name of Jesus and you can go completely free. Come on, guys. This is the truth. This is the truth. We need to get this. We need to bind this to our hearts. Because that is a lie. You do not love the world. It tastes good, but it burns all the way down. True? Okay, we're on the same page. Then he said to the woman, woman, oh no, sorry, verse 13. And, God, and so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. See, the next person's getting blamed. And the devil is to blame. Can I say this? The devil is to blame, but so are we. Because the devil has no power unless you concede to what he's suggesting. The only weapon the devil has is his mouth. It doesn't say the devil has a sword. It says he has a tongue. He didn't turn up with the military in the Garden of Eden. He turned up with a tongue. You need to start saying, no, I've fallen in love with another. And if you fall, there is one who is faithful and just. But that's not the goal to be living over here. The goal is to be at the feet of Jesus. True? This is the truth, guys. Okay, let me just go on. I want us to see this. Please bear in mind, this is before God had spoken law, before Moses had the Ten Commandments, before all of the old law came into effect. This is under relationship. The garden was governed by relationship, not by law. It was, governed by, it was, it was governed by love. So we, we can't read this through the Old Testament right now. We just need to read this through the eyes of just there's friends here. And this is actually what God wants, guys. He wants friends. The Lord, and, and so, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are more cursed than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman which was talking about Eve and her seed, her, her lineage line, which out of that would come Jesus. And between your seed and her seed, and you shall bruise, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of, the, of, the, of which I commanded you to stay, sorry, of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat it for all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and in, your, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Okay, and he goes on with all these things here. Now watch this. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Stop right there for just a second. How did God make tunics of skin? Because something died. God took a couple of animals and killed them. Okay? He made a sacrifice. Remember God said, in the day that you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. You guys remember that? Mercy came into effect. Mercy showed up in the garden because they should have died that day and we should have never heard about them but they didn't. And this is not under the law, guys. This is, this is the heart of God. This is the goodness of God. Mercy showed up and said, I should kill you right now. The judgment is death. But I'm going to come over here and we're going to kill a couple of animals. And I'm going to take the skin and mercy is going to cover you. Mercy is going to cover you. This is outside of the law. This is outside the rules, guys. This is the heart of God. Mercy's going to cover you. And I'm going to divert the consequences because you have to understand every sin requires a penalty. Every, every, every today, everything we do requires a penalty. 
As long as the earth remains, so shall seed time and harvest. That means everything you sow, word, thought, deed, has an outcome, either good or bad. And so what they did is they sinned, and God came and he brought mercy. They didn't even ask for it. God's desire, his preference is to bring mercy. Come on, we need to get this, guys. Freedom's right here. God's desire is to bring you mercy and then to give you grace. The grace was this. That was the mercy part. Someone died. But please understand that even though, and we've got to get this, guys, outside of the law, even though there was mercy, there remained a consequence. Do not think that continually sinning will be with, not without consequences that we have to live with. Because you notice that we were reading consequences here? You will have to live by the toil of your brow. You will sweat. You get what I'm saying? He's then telling Eve, you're going to have pain and childbearing. Right? And so grace was them walking out of the garden. They actually didn't get to stay where they were. And they had to go out of the garden. Grace and mercy. Hello, guys. Who needs grace and mercy? I need grace and mercy. You need grace and mercy. Come on, let's stand to our feet for a second. Father, I just thank you right now that every single issue in this room, every sin, every hang-up, every memory, every uh, habit, every thought, even things that have been said today, God, where we are condemned or we, we feel, oh man, that's an area that I just can't get free from. Father, I thank you right now that your mercy right now in this minute is being poured out over everyone in this room. In Jesus' name. That you would just remind us, Holy Spirit, if there's areas in our lives where we've been struggling, if there's areas in our lives that we've given up to and we've conceded just to live under quote-unquote grace, that you would come and convict us tonight, right now, and that you would just begin to clean us out, and that you'd cause us to have mercy, God, instead of judgment. And that you would cause grace to cause us, you would pour grace out on us to cause us to fall in love with Jesus and turn from what we've been doing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you that you are cleaning us, God. That you're bringing purity to us. That you are calling us higher. And that you're not calling us into striving and you're not calling, causing us, calling us into works and trying to be good enough, but you're causing us to rest in your grace that causes things to fall off that shouldn't be there. You're calling us into mercy where the consequences have been put on another, Jesus, and we get to go free. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, some of you need to let some stuff go. Some of you actually need to make a decision right now to let condemnation go. Some of you, condemnation's been silently tearing you up inside. I'm going to invite you right now to give it to Jesus. Every, everyone's got their eyes closed in here. If you've been struggling with condemnation, I want you to lift your hand up. Come on, let's be honest. If, if there's stuff in your past the enemy's trying to torment you on, or if there's, a, there's sin areas in your life where you've been struggling, just lift your hands up. Awesome. There's a bunch of people putting their hands up. Let's, let's get honest right now. Remember, you've got to come to God with honesty and humility. You're putting your hand up before God right now as an act of honesty and humility. God, I've been struggling. I feel like the devil's been condemning me, and I feel like I'm in this, this, this cycle of sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting, and I'm just sick of it, God, and I need you to come with your mercy right now and break it off. 
I'm giving you my issues right now, God. I'm giving you the condemnation. I'm giving you my, my addictions. I'm giving you my habits. I'm giving you my sins. I'm giving you my thought life right now. I'm giving you my struggles right now, God. I can't fight this on my own anymore. I've tried doing it in my own strength. I can't do it. I'm giving these things to you right now, God. And I ask you to come with your fire and set me free right now. That mercy would come and it would cause me to not get the consequences of what I should get, but it would cause me to get the, the grace to start flowing on my life where I'm getting what I don't deserve. Your goodness, God. Your loving kindness. Your long suffering over my life your generosity towards me, your love, God. We are transformed when we meet mercy and we walk with grace. And can I say this? When you've truly encountered the mercy of God and you've truly walked in the grace of God, you start treating other people with mercy and grace. Remember that. We need to show other people mercy and grace. I need to remember that. Sometimes it's easy to forget. Amen. Will you guys be blessed, have an awesome night?